0: As we have begun the season of Advent today with the lighting of our Advent wreath, uh, we are centering our attention together as a church uh, over the course of this season on uh, a verse from Isaiah chapter 9, and then uh, today we'll focus our attention uh, in the Gospel of John Uh, chapter 4. So I'll first read Isaiah 9, verse 6, and then moving on to John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. If not, the words will be on the screen as we together hear the word of the Lord. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And now turning to John chapter 4, we'll be reading verses 39 through 41. This is uh, the response, uh, the outcome following the interaction that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman at the well, beginning in verse 39 of chapter 4. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is God's word for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Lord, we come to you in this moment of silence, centering our hearts on you. So I pray, O God, we pray before you that you would meet with us now in this space and time. We are so grateful for your word, for the wisdom, your revelation for the world that is contained therein. So we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see, open our ears, that we would hear, open our minds, we would come to know and understand your word, our hearts, that we would feel its power, Then in response, I pray, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it happened again. Thanksgiving took place. Uh, And, you know, I I saw so many of you pictures uh, online, beautiful families gathered together for Thanksgiving, Uh, some of you with large groups, some of you with smaller groups and gatherings, but it happened again. And then, you know, what also happened uh, that very day, listening to the radio, all of a sudden Christmas music began. It didn't wait a moment. We didn't get to really let the turkey settle. It was absolutely immediate. We then were able to hear Christmas music yet again. Some of you jumped the gun on that. I know some of you. You you like Christmas music all year long. Bless you and your specialness. But... Uh, we also have, uh, have our radios began flooding it. And, and, and I was struck by, uh, by a couple of songs, um, but, but I'm going to just do a, a survey here. If I'm going to ask you to complete the this, this sentence of this song, All I Want for Christmas Is... See, there was some debate there, okay? Like, like some of you said, my two front teeth, which I find very interesting because I think all of you have your two front teeth. Um, and then others of you who are still in love with your, with your spouse or your loved one, that's great. You said you, uh, all I want for Christmas is you and that's good as well. But, but we have like this, this, this permeating voice that comes through in our culture. As soon as we get to the Christmas season, we begin asking the question, what do we want? Gifts, someone said. Yeah. Uh, and, and, that, and that's part of it, right? On, on Thursday, I'm driving home from Galveston where I spend uh, Thanksgiving with my, my, my dad and my stepbrothers. And as I was driving back, my sister calls me. Happy Thanksgiving. Wonderful. Happy Thanksgiving to you. How was your Thanksgiving? Wonderful. Wonderful. Good, good, good. What do you want for Christmas. I mean, there was a purpose to the call. The call was not the obligatory Happy Thanksgiving. The purpose was, what do you want for Christmas? As soon as we turn from Thanksgiving towards December, we're not even to December yet, and everybody wants to know, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? The older I get, the harder it is to answer that question. I'm fairly contented. I have my needs met, and in the end, someone asks me, what do you want? I don't know. Surprise me. Well, that's not helpful at all to any of my loved ones that want to buy me something. <laughs> I don't know. Surprise me. No, they, they want to know a specific, and, and here's the problem. The older I get, the more and more I realize that all of those surface things all of the stuff that can fill our closets or our homes. I long for deeper things. Uh, my, 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 My heart's desire is for something more meaningful, more potent. What I really want is I want time in relationship. What I really want is to laugh and to love. What I really want is to be restored and to be healed. What I really want is my relationships to be whole. What do you really want? And what's interesting is when we start walking through what we really want, uh, it's, it's all wrapped up in, made possible and available to us in the personhood of Jesus. This Jesus that was foretold by the prophets long ago, this Jesus that before the star even came over the town of Bethlehem was taught about all through the Jewish culture and heritage, this one that the prophet Isaiah spoke of. For unto us a son is born, unto us a child. Is given. You have this birth that is foretold. And Jesus is described in four particular ways. And over the four weeks of Advent, we as a church at Covenant are going to journey with this great desire. Give me Jesus. What do you want? I want Jesus. What do you want? I want a wonderful counselor. What do you want? on a mighty God. What do you desire? An everlasting Father. What's your heart's longing? A Prince of Peace. So this will be our journey together, and today we begin with Wonderful Counselor what is a wonderful counselor? Well, we have to begin by articulating that this idea of wonderful is, is absolutely uh, like, like undercut in our cultural articulation of wonderful. The, the word wonderful doesn't have the extraordinary meaning that, that would have resonated for the, the Hebrew people when they heard Isaiah speak of this one that would come, this Messiah, this Jesus, as a wonderful counselor. Words that might better for us in this this day and age, articulate the meaning of wonderful would be astonishing, marvelous, extraordinary. Or if you wanted to stay with that root word of wonderful, you could say wondrous, and you probably get closer to this meaning. In Isaiah, chapter 9, before we arrive at the prophecy in verse 6, we hear in verse 2 an articulation of the circumstance into which this Messiah would come and and, and the the transformation that would take place at the Messiah's arrival. In verse 2, it reads, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so I want you to, to in your mind's eye, uh, think about the, the physical representation of darkness and light. The, 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 the idea that when you have seen only darkness and there is a light, whether it be in the distance or up close in your face, it is bright and wondrous and glorious when the, the, the new day dawns, everything begins to brighten, and the the rocks begin to sing out of the praise of God, the trees begin to shimmer in their glory. All of creation sings of the new day when the light dawns. This is a transformation of our reality, and when we encounter Jesus. When we encounter this this wonderful counselor, it's as though our darkness is now lit up. And it needs to be with us and in us, this resonance, this wonderful, wondrous, extraordinary, marvelous thing. What is it for Jesus to be a wonderful counselor? We also hear uh, this word counselor, and, and I think that we, uh, we, we struggle to, to grasp what uh, depth of, of meaning can be there for us. There's a description of one of the great counselors in all of Scripture, save Jesus, we're getting to him, right? Uh, in, in, in the personhood of Solomon, in First Kings chapter 29, I should mean chapter four, verse twenty nine and following. It describes Solomon's capacity for counseling, and uh, and and being an advisor. And now, if you put it in advisory role or or uh, counseling role, all of a sudden we begin to open up the framework through which this can be seen that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. But first, for Solomon. Chapter 4, verse 29 and following, listen to how Solomon's described. Remember, Solomon prayed for wisdom, asked for wisdom from God, and God blessed him, double portion. So it's magnificent to hear. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east. And greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan and Ezrahite, uh, Ezra wiser than Heman, uh, Kalkol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. I don't know any of those people, but it sounds pretty impressive. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life from the cedars of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also spoke about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. Okay, so he's also a zoologist and an agriculturalist. But then get this. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Solomon was a great, might I even say, wonderful counselor, so much so. That the nations of the world sought out his counsel. And yet, Solomon was not the wonderful counselor that the prophecy spoke of in Isaiah. Which means that, that this one that Isaiah spoke of, that God spoke of through Isaiah, was even more extraordinary, marvelous, wonderful than that one Solomon, that everything we just read, you could take it up two notches and say Jesus is that and more. So what would it be for us to acknowledge that that Jesus is a wonderful counselor? What would it be for us to experience that in our lives, to to hear of God's testimony of that and, and really grapple with it? Jesus, as, as he walked and as he taught, was proven to be a wonderful counselor. One of the great stories of this uh, for us is what we read in the Gospel of John. We heard in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, this encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. You might remember this encounter. She is there uh, coming at the well, and Jesus is there. His disciples had gone off into town, and it's just the two of them. At the conclusion of their experience together, we hear uh, heard today, the transformation that had taken place in her life and in the lives of the other Samaritans through her witness. Do you remember what it said in verse 39. In verse 39, we read, the Samaritans from the town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. And here was the testimony. He told me everything I ever did. He told me everything I ever did. And that's actually a repeat of of the original testimony in verse 29, John 4, 29. So she leaves her water jar, she goes back to the town to the people, and she said, Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So we hear twice her own witness to what took place. He told me everything I ever did. But was that true? From your recollection of the account between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, was it true? He told me everything I ever did? Let's walk through it just very quickly. There's 13 pieces of the encounter. We're just going to go back and forth. And then at the end, we're going to ask ourselves, did Jesus tell her everything she ever did? So uh, the Samaritan woman says, uh, had Jesus tell her in verse 7, will you give me a drink? He's sitting at the well. She comes up. She's drawing water, and he asked her for a drink. Okay. The Samaritan woman said, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We ain't even supposed to be talking. Like, what you just did was off limits. You're not supposed to talk to me. I'm not supposed to talk to you. We happen to be here both at the well, but that's not supposed to be taking place. Okay? Then Jesus responds, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God uh, and who it is that's asking you to give a drink... You would have said, Give me living water. Okay, so Jesus turns things. Don't you know who I am? I'm kind of a thing. You would have asked for even more if you would have known who I am, but verse 11, the woman replies, You don't even have a bucket. How are you going to give me living water? I have a bucket. You don't have a bucket. You're not going to give me anything. Uh, and so I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay. So they're butting heads a little bit. This is a very hospitable scene we have going on here. And then in verse 13, Jesus responds back. This is the fifth of back and forth. Everyone who drinks of the water in this well is going to get thirsty again. Well, of course, like. You get thirsty, I get thirsty, we drink water, we get thirsty again. That makes sense. But then Jesus says, but whoever drinks from what I give them will never be thirsty again. Whatever I give you is going to last. Whatever I give you is going to have eternal consequences. And it's going to spring up as a well for eternal life. That's verse 14. Then in verse 15, she replies back and says, give me some of this water and then I don't have to keep getting water from this well. That also makes sense. She's going back and forth every single day getting water from this well. And she's like, if you have something to give that keeps me from having to work like this, I'm all about it. Well, well, how does Jesus respond to that? He turns it again. Verse 16 Go call your husband and come back. What does her husband have to do with this? We haven't, like, he's not been introduced to the scene. He's not involved in this in any way, shape, or form. He's offered her living water. She said that he didn't have a bucket. He said, uh, if I give it to you, it's going to last. She said, I want some of that. And he says, go get your husband. All right. Anybody confused yet? And so then in verse 17, she says, I have no husband. He responds back to her, you're right that you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, but the man you're with now is not your husband. So what you've said is true. That's a pretty intimate detail about her life. She has, in fact, in that moment been seen. She's had an encounter where the depth of her pain, the depth of her despair, the depth of her shame has been known. And he didn't have to say everything that had happened in her life, but he said in that way, in that moment, I know you and I'm with you now. Verse 19 So you're a prophet, she says to Jesus, but we're different. Samaritans worship in this way and Jews worship in that way. You're a prophet, but you and I are different. And he said in verse 21, woman, believe me, the time is coming when the place where you worship doesn't matter as much. In verse 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kinds of worshiper the Father seeks. Then in verse 12, we begin to get this confessional experience from the Samaritan woman. I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then in verse 26, I... The one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus literally saying, I am the Messiah, the Son of God. But did you hear that? Her testimony to the Samaritan community, as he told me everything that I ever did, and then even the Samaritans uh, recount that later on, recount their testimony, her testimony where she said, he told me everything I ever did. And they say, oh, we don't just believe because you've told us, but we believe because of our experience of Jesus. But in verse 12, her understanding of the Messiah is fascinating. In verse 25 of chapter 4, the 12th of the 13 interactions, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. The Messiah will explain everything to us. And for someone that's been through a a deep darkness, for someone that's been through some pain, some trauma, a trial, for someone that has had challenges in life and is living in the midst of those challenges, sometimes we just want to know how, why, uh, understand what is going on, to be able to say this is taking place in our lives and to grasp and grapple with it, with one who can explain it to us. This Messiah will be able to explain everything to us, even to me, even to one who's had five husbands and now is with a man who is not my husband Even to me who come at the middle of the day, not with the other women, but by myself because I'm in isolation, because I'm alone, because I'm an outcast. And I come in the heat of the day to do this thing that I hate doing, but I do it out of obligation. Even in the midst of my painful life, I know that when the Messiah comes, he will explain everything to me. And then she says, he told me everything about me. So I'm going to go back to that question I asked earlier. Did Jesus actually tell her everything that she ever did? No. He didn't. He didn't. And, and he didn't have to, which is, which is the magnificent nature of the wonderful counselor that is Jesus. I mean, this one Jesus was able to say some things that really let her know that she was seen, that she was heard, that she was met, that she was encountered. And in that space of knowing, knowing that she was met, she was able to say, I have been known. Jesus is described in a couple of other places in Scripture this, this miraculous capacity of knowledge and wisdom that's beyond what we read about with Solomon. In, jo- in John chapter 2, verse 25, uh, Jesus is described in this way. Jesus did not need any testimony about mankind. All of us. He didn't need someone else to tell him anything about you or me. Why? For he knew what was in each person. Jesus didn't need you to tell Jesus about you. Jesus didn't need your spouse, your friend, your, your mom, your dad, your, your, your child to, to tell him about you. Jesus already knew everything about you. What a, what a fantastic, awesome, humbling thing for us to acknowledge. That when we come to Jesus, we are already known. There is no introduction necessary. We are just resting in that intimacy. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, we hear of it uh recorded Jesus's connection with us in this way. My goal uh, is that, this is Paul writing, that they may be encouraged, at a church Laodicea, that they would be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may, be, uh, they may have the full riches of complete understanding. And then get this. In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom... In Christ, all uh, are hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus, in this wonderful counselor, in this Messiah, are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He knows it all. And so let's break down how fascinating our lives are in this paradox. We oftentimes uh, are are disconnected from Jesus. We operate as though we, uh, in our shame, in our actions, in in our infidelity to God, have created a divide that keeps us from being in relationship to Jesus. We act as though we can't approach Jesus. We can't encounter Jesus. We can't be be one with Jesus. We're not able to walk with Jesus. And yet, the scriptures are clear. The testimony of the Samaritan woman is clear. The prophecy from Isaiah that Jesus is a wonderful counselor is clear. Jesus already knows you. And still did he come for you and for me. Still he took on flesh. He entered into this world, the son of God for you and me. Still, he took on the cross so that our sins would die with his death, and then we would rise in new life in him. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. So meet with them, Talk with them, Be with them, Be loved by him. Let him see you and know you, and know that he sees you and knows you. So that we can experience the wonderful, healing, profoundly transformative relationship of Jesus. It is there for you and for me. What if we entered into this Advent season committing, committing to to walk with him, to talk with him? to confess and to be loved by him. I pray God's healing over you and over me, God's love over you and over me in this Advent season by the gift we have in Jesus. A wonderful, wondrous, marvelous, extraordinary, astonishing counselor. Walk in that throughout this season. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, you call forth in us and amongst us uh, a fresh revelation of the intimacy that is there for us in the love of our Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, help us again to see and know you as a wonderful counselor. Help us to to listen for you, to listen to you, to be met with you. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your guidance. Lord, just as thousands came to meet with Solomon, so we pray the world would come and meet with your son, Jesus, our Savior. We seek your counsel this in every day. Lord, as we continue in worship and we enter into this time of offering, we pray that you would bless these gifts, bless all of these gifts, that they would go to the kingdom-building work of your church, that more would know your son, Jesus Christ, through the power and working of these gifts. And then we pray, O O, O Lord, that you would bless each and every one who gives this day. That we would understand what it means to be thankful, what it means to acknowledge you, and what it means to to humbly offer a portion of what you have blessed us with back to the kingdom-building work of your church. Lord, we pray that you would be present in this time of offering. In Jesus' name, amen.